This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. In nearly every facet of her life, Malika Sundaramurthy stands out as a contrast. She's a woman of Indian descent fronting a technical death metal band, and her growl is among the deepest in metal. It doesn't come easily or naturally to Malika, who studied operatic vocal techniques specifically to build up her tonal and breathing capacity to reach her goal. Hearing bands like Cannibal Corpse, I I was like in love with that sound. It's like how does the human voice make that sound? And it wasn't really about gender for me, but I was convinced that I could do that, so I worked on it. I'm Matt Pikin. Today I speak with Malika from the Massachusetts band Abnormality, who are just turning out their second full-length album, Mechanisms of Omniscience. We talk about the challenges leading up to this record, the political bent behind the band's lyrics, and how she's always upended other people's expectations. We also find out more about Malika's art beyond metal, which includes illustration and painting and video game animation. Malika is someone you definitely want to know, so stay tuned. Before we get to our interview, I want to ask you, the listener, how would you like to have a nationally touring metal vocalist record your outgoing voicemail greeting? Or how about joining me in an interview with a major metal artist for an upcoming episode of Metal Brainiac? These can be yours by becoming a Brainiac Booster. You, the listener, will always get to hear the show for free. But for as little as $1 every month, you can support the work I do and keep it coming to you every week. So please, can you spare a dollar? All the details are on our website, MetalBrainiac.com. And thank you so much for your support. I began our conversation by asking Malika about the revolving door of guitarists that has plagued abnormality. We had a few setbacks since the formation of the band between the time of the formation and the first full length. A huge one was a breakdown in a relationship with our first guitarist uh, to him leaving the band. So Mm. that was a a big upset for the band and we actually lost an entire album, which... (laughs) I would think that that's a huge setback. And uh, now, was he your principal songwriter? It's always been a collaboration. We don't, I don't really want to get into the drama or anything. We we don't really like to publicly talk about it, but we, we had reasons why it took you know, a few years to get the first full length out. Right. Well, I don't want to get into the um, but, drama at all. But I was curious from an artistic point of view, what this did to the band just simply artistically, you know, internally, when you parted with your guitarist, was it, oh, we have to start over in a sense, we have to start over creatively? Where did you think that left you as a band artistically? It almost broke up the band, honestly, like it was just a really hard thing to get through, to lose music that we had written. And we just, just scraped up what we had that he hadn't contributed to. We, we put out the EP in 2010 after that first guitarist left. We got a new guitarist, Ben Durgan. So we just picked ourselves up the, off the ground and, and kept going, kept running with it. And then brought some fresh energy and ideas to the band. So it was actually a blessing in disguise. When you overcome an obstacle, you get a renewed uh, sense of purpose and determination to keep carrying forward so anytime we had a setback we it just furthered our determination (laughs) to keep going after that experience we also wanted to improve the quality of our recording 
our first demo was recorded with our old guitarist. So we started working with Peter Ruggio after that, who's a really good producer in our area. And we've been working with him ever since, from the 2010 EP to the 2012 Contaminating the Hive Mind and this newest release, Mechanisms of Omniscience. You said that Ben brought a new jolt of energy. Can you talk about what that did musically in a tangible sense? Well, we've had two guitarist changes now. And each time we have a member change, like it brings fresh energy and new ideas to the table. And it does affect the band sound, but we still maintain the core members and the core abnormality sound. But on this this new album, we got a new guitarist. So Ben has left for his own personal reasons. We're, we're still friends. And we have Sam Kirsch now. So some new ideas, but still going forward on our path, on our evolution. Yeah, you mentioned that it almost broke up the band, at least that first guitar the split. First the first one did. And then now that Ben left and you have Sam, how did that change your process in writing the new record? You know, we had to just get used to somebody new all over again, you know, so we had to get used to writing together and he had to get used to working with our style. So it took a little while, like we probably would have had this new album done sooner if we didn't have a guitarist change. The process is pretty much the same, but it's just when you have a new member, it's like it's like starting a new job. They have to like learn the ropes and get used to working, you know, with those people, right? It's also an artistic collaboration too, you know, that you have to gel. It's almost like a couple. It's like a relationship oh, yeah, in a way. Yeah. It's really important to, sure. to find somebody that you jive well with. And yeah, so, so it, it, we did have, you know, some tryouts for a few months and, and we were really happy with Sam and we just, he just fit in right away. So. Oh, you actually had like open auditions in a sense, or did you invite a select few people to come in? We were at first just asking people that we knew, but we had to open it up publicly to invite anybody to audition. Wow. What was that process like? How many people auditioned? It's a pretty technical style of music we play, so not that many people actually mm. actually made it to the audition. We, we said that they should learn two songs to try out, and a lot of people gave up before <laughs> learning those songs. So yeah, we, we actually had like three people actually show up having learned the material. Well, it's very technical, and you know, listening to the music, obviously there's a lot of density there. There are a lot of layers going on in the music. I would think in some sense the music can be written very separately from the lyrics. They're compositions <laughs> unto themselves. We talked a little bit about the music. We haven't talked at all about the lyrics and just from the top down does the music get written in whole before you start writing lyrics to them we approach it a few different ways sometimes the music will be written out and then i'll bring the lyrics to it sometimes we'll have the lyrics completely written out and then write the music to the lyrics sometimes we'll just have a couple riffs and then just start from there sometimes jay the drummer will have a drum beat and like the guitarist will write something to that. So yeah, we do a lot of free jamming when we're writing and also people bring whatever they they can on their, they write on their own and, and bring it forward. That's really kind so, of yeah. amazing to me that you will write your lyrics before the music comes in. And especially with the music you play, I would think it would be hard or difficult in some ways to marry music to your lyrics that are already set. When you're writing lyrics without music, do you have like a tempo and a time signature in mind when you're writing lyrics? Or is it more like writing poetry that's sort of a free verse and then you just somehow fit it into music once that comes available? 
both, actually, and I should comment that the drummer Jay also writes lyrics with me. He and I do the lyrics. He, as a drummer, and just his writing style, he writes like poetry with the beat and the pattern in mind. And my lyrics are a little more freeform. I like to fit my lyrics to a song more freely, and I, I like to have fun with that challenge of patterns and the way I split up lines and things. It's a couple different approaches, but I think that makes it for more varied, interesting music. Sometimes Jay and I write lyrics on a song together, so we have both combinations in one song. Now, I know your songs explore like media manipulation, politics, and power. From what I understand, that's also those are also the themes that you approach on omniscience. And I'm wondering what's changed or evolved for you since the Hive record um, in terms of how you're tackling this subject matter. Is omniscience more a continuation of these themes that you approached with the first record? Or are you taking different tacks, different directions? Are you getting more specific with your lyrics? Or are there any events since 2012 that fed your writing for the new record? I think it's a natural evolution from contaminating the hive mind. And we're just always inspired by what's going on in the world and what's going on in our own lives, too. So it's not just about world events. It's also about, the, you know, relationships, family, and in our communities, the emotions we experience, too. We also write about different things like time travel, you know, imagining science fiction, imagining, you know, possible future scenarios, too. But we definitely comment on what's going on in the world. And there have been a lot of things going on recently. So Sure. Can you talk about some of these specific things that whether you reference them deliberately in your lyrics or that where they were just reference points for you, what in particular really inspired or ignited you in your writing? Between Contaminating the Have Mind and this new album, what's happened, Sandy Hook event and the Edward Snowden revelations with NSA, you know, that's a huge one, a source of inspiration. But talk about trying to convey these themes in a death metal context. I find that really interesting and what the challenges are or might be for you, because at least to the naked ear, you can't make out the lyrics. It's, you know, it would be next to impossible to understand the lyrics. I'm wondering, how do you convey these themes? Or is it important for you to convey these themes, despite we, the difficulty mm -hmm. there? We do have very specific ideas, but we leave it open to the reader to interpret how they will. We leave little clues behind about what we're talking about. And we hope that our readers will be interested and intelligent enough to break it down and, and also interpret it how they will. It's some pretty obvious sources in our lyrics, and sometimes it's more vague, and that's okay. You know, it, it gives the feelings that we're intending to put out there, but we do tend to be inspired by the darker sides of humanity and and what's going on in the world. I find it interesting that you call them readers and not listeners. I think that's oh, interesting. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, but that, that, that's really interesting. So, because because yeah. you depend upon, I suppose, you depend upon your listeners yeah. to have lyric sheets in front. Of them. Yeah, that's an interesting slip. You know, the biggest fans will listen to the music and have the lyrics in front of them and, and listen along. And that's what I do with my favorite death metal bands, you know. So it takes a little more effort on the part of a, a death metal fan, right, to, to want to sit there with the lyrics. They can't automatically hear every word that's being said unless they have the lyrics in front of them. So yeah, that's an interesting point. But also like, you know, if you've been listening to death metal a lot, you can hear, you know, a lot of it. You can 
understand a lot of it if if you listen to it to this death growl and I think I'm a pretty a fairly audible growler as far as those go <laughs> right but, uh, <laughs> I, I hadn't I hadn't heard it described that way as an audible growler <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, I, so, I, I pronounce I pronounce my my syllables and my consonants you can hear the words I don't mind to you know sound more brutal and, and, and give up some clarity sometimes too and it's an artistic choice, and I, I do appreciate it in other bands when their vocals are more abstracted. It doesn't necessarily reflect <laughs> what's written down in the lyrics. Like, I could say Lord Worm and Cryptopsy is a good example. It's like, you have the lyrics, and it just totally doesn't match what he's doing. But <laughs> I think that's really interesting that you phrased it that way, that in some ways, even to you as a fan, it doesn't necessarily matter to you if you can understand the lyrics because it's more about the sound of the voice and the musicality or how it fits into the music. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and the the feeling, the emotion, and the voice as an instrument. That's what it is. It's it's an instrument just like the guitars, and you can use it in a lot of different ways to convey a feeling and an idea. We've got more ahead with Malika, but first let's hear one of the more socially conscious songs on Abnormality's new record, Mechanisms of Omniscience. This is Irreversible, a metal brainiac.
Let's get back to my conversation with Malika of Abnormality. Let's talk about this instrument of your voice. I know you've taken some vocal training, if I'm correct about that. You actually studied a little bit with an opera vocalist. Is that true? <laughs> yep, that's right. Wow. So so did you do that knowing you're going to apply your lessons in a death metal context? Or did you for a while entertain the idea of singing different styles of rock music? <laughs> no, it, it was after I had formed Abnormality. And for the purpose of having better breath control and improving my vocal ability. Did it do that? Did it? Did you find some tangible results that way? I did. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and being able to hold my breath longer to sustain notes longer, it did definitely help. And this was early on. It was like 2009 that mm. I took those lessons. Yeah. And it, it definitely helped. But I had already developed my growl by then, my vocals by then. But those lessons were mainly my ad- objective was uh, a better breathing technique for singing. And it, it definitely helped with that. I should know. I also took uh, singing lessons when I was a child, when I was like five years old. <laughs> and I, I think that's probably had some influence on me, like way before I, I got into metal music, just doing that and, and being in chorus in middle school, you know, singing is singing. And what extreme metal vocals are is just an extended, a different kind of singing. Why know? were you tr- so driven to express yourself through death metal as opposed to other realms of music where at least maybe vocally, lyrically, you might be understood a little better, at least in terms of the actual words, or maybe that wasn't as important to you. Talk about why death metal. What was it about that that really drew you as a vocalist? I just fell in love with death metal, the extremity of it, uh, the energy, and just how different it was, this form of expression, shocking, just raw, and (laughs) not afraid to be different. It excited me, and I was a fan first, and I wanted to see if I could do it (laughs) first. I was just singing along to albums, and I was having so much fun that, you know, I I just joined a band at at some point, and and I loved it, and I kept doing it. Now, there are a lot of female metal vocalists around these days, and some of them, you know, have a higher register. You have a very low growl, and at least in terms of the naked ear, it's difficult to pick out your gender, and you don't have that kind of speaking voice. You have a much more lilting speaking voice and I'm wondering if you worked hard at having a deep growl or if that's just something that came naturally to you yes definitely I worked at it 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 took years to master the low growl and for me not having a coach or somebody really I, I had to just do it myself I guess I loved the challenge of it. I'm like, okay, you know, people tell me I can't do this, so I I want to do it. <laughs> like, I want to I want to prove to myself that I can do this. I did, and it, I'm always working on my vocals to try to do different sounds or improve my techniques in any way that I can. And I just really enjoy any kind of challenge in my life. Were you actually hearing naysayers? Were there people who said you can't do this or you shouldn't do this because either you're a woman or just by the natural quality of your speaking voice, they thought you couldn't get there? Or did you feed yourself that negativity as a motive? That's a good question. I mean, there's definitely naysayers now. In the beginning, nobody cared, you know? It's just like I was this girl doing these growls, like, right? Like, I mean... 
most of my friends were really supportive. It was friends that weren't really friends that were like, that's stupid or something. (laughs) Well, you said there's naysayers now. I would think now after a couple of EPs and a couple of full lengths that you wouldn't have the naysayers, but where are they coming from? The more in the public eye you are, the more praise and the more criticism you get. I think that's just part of it. Mm -hmm. And this kind of music is shocking to people that don't know it, that don't know metal. Like it's just something demonic or weird to them. (laughs) So I think, you know, having a big presence online now is a lot of people are seeing it that don't necessarily understand this form of music that it's shocking to them. But I found some motivation in myself and, and enjoyment in it. And that's what kept me doing it for years. I started growling 18 years ago or something, you know, like, Mm. then I joined my first band almost 15 years ago. So it was just for me for fun and and a challenge. And and then I took it more, more and more seriously as I went on. I'm curious why you were so deliberate about building your lower register. I was trying to remember what your previous question (laughs) I had, I was trying to tie it all together. (laughs) Hearing bands like Cannibal Corpse, I I was like in love with that sound. It's like, how does a human voice make that sound? And it wasn't really about gender for me, but I was convinced that I could do that. So I worked on it. You know, it's, there's a lot of things that are just, it's your mind that limits you sometimes. So I had an open mind that I could try and do it. And I didn't really have any examples at that time. The, there wasn't really much internet back then. It was just the beginning of the internet. There was no YouTube or anything like uh, a lot of, young kids today are really lucky when they have the internet in YouTube and they can watch tutorials and things like that. But I didn't have it back then. I, the only examples I had was the male singers, you know, in, in death metal albums I was exposed to. And then I discovered Arch Enemy and I was like, that furred to me. I was like, oh yeah, okay, there, there are women doing it. But I, I knew that I wanted to do more low growls and, and brutal death metal. When you were training with your opera coach, did you give her an example of what you were building toward and or him if if it was I don't know what gender your coach was, but did you actually perform some of your death metal vocals for your coach? I did. She asked me to. Yeah, she was really great. Her name is her name is Kabiria. She's she's wonderful. I think she just is working in New York now, but she was living in Boston. How did she react? To she you? loved it. <laughs> she was fascinated by it. Well, that's wonderful. You mentioned not having certain role models. You certainly didn't have when you started out. There weren't women to look at then. You finally discovered Angela Gossard and there were some others. <laughs> and another thing that crossed my mind is I know your father is from the Indian city of Chennai, right? And your mother is American. And even though you were born and raised in America, ethnicity must to some degree come into your sense of identity it's not like death metal is rife with indians and i was wondering if that ever played into anything for you did you always see yourself not only in gender but in terms of ethnicity as being somebody different than what you were seeing and hearing in metal i think that's a good observation yeah i always felt like i never fit in yeah and being attracted to the more aggressive forms of music, uh, you know, I was one of the few women there, and, and I was com- already comfortable with standing out and being different, and I was comfortable with that, and being artistic and being an artist, also like a visual artist, and being very much into music. I didn't let it hold me back, and I was fascinated by things that were different, and people that were different, genres that were different. I should comment there have been women in death metal since the beginning of death metal. I just, at that time and, and without much internet back then, I, I didn't have access to those bands till later. And I 
did do research as as soon as I was able to to discover those early death metal bands like Mythic and Darketa and you know this is Dash but Holy Moses. Um, mm-hmm. She she was one of the the first extreme metal vocalists like period like not man or woman so right uh, there there have been women since the beginning of death metal doing it it's just more rare right um, why do but you I have come I have come to appreciate those pi- early pioneers of women and so I don't want to claim that I'm the first one you oh know? I I wasn't at all putting out that you were the first oh, yeah, at yeah, all yeah. either you I know? just want to give uh give props to to the other women who are doing it too. And there's a lot more now too. Sure. And why do you think there's still, I don't know if it's a glass ceiling with women vocalists, obviously some have reached some real notoriety within metal, but it's still a male dominated genre. It's a male dominated, you know, in terms of the superstars of this industry. Do you think that there's just a a sort of a patriarchy that just hovers over this industry? Or do you see that crumbling away? Do you think in a decade or two that women will have more prime positions in the industry, not only as musicians, but even as administrators, as record company producers. What are you seeing? I do see that. I see things changing and not just death metal, but in the world. And as the music industry changing, it's reflecting the changes going on in the world where women are taking more different roles that were previously dominated by men. It's like in any other area where men have dominated and, and, it's getting more and more balanced and, and death metal is just catching up to that. There is a lot of disrespect towards women, a lot of sexism in, in music, but especially in metal. And I'm glad to see that that's changing. And I do think eventually there will be a lot more prominent women and really skilled women in death metal, in metal. The sexism that you've seen, or at least you you know about, have you been at all I want. I don't want to label a victim, but have you been a target of this sexism? I would say it's not even really that different than anywhere else in society. You know, the objectification of women and and the, the lewd comments you get and things like that. But just being somebody in the public eye, I definitely get a lot of comments like online, especially or, or like messages. You know. Mm. But I, I, I try not to focus on those. I try not to read those things, you know, but and I try not to let it get me down. But it is it is something. But I think it's important just to do what you're passionate about and work on your art or, you know, your dream. And right. it, eventually, I think the world will get more balanced. That's it. <laughs> we, we touched on a little bit your ethnicity. I was wondering if you had other fans of Indian descent come to you and and say thank you, or at least express that they see you as an icon or model for them. Has there been any of that? Yeah, and other Asian countries too, and women in general reaching out saying that I was a role model to them. It's really, I'm happy to inspire women as I love to be inspired by other women. And there's few and far between strong women role models in mainstream society. So it's nice to have alternative women to look up to. And I would like to say the the metal scene in India is really growing. It's quite an amazing thing to see, and I would love to go over there and play some shows. Yeah, it's pretty an exciting time and place in India right now for metal. And uh, I've been talking to a number of bands over there, and I even collaborated with one band. I did some guest vocals on their album. Yeah, I think India is a country to watch in terms of metal. Right. And I know you're also, you've been 
in another band called Parasitic Extirpation, I think it's pronounced. And I'm wondering, are you still in that band or are you in other bands? Are you still spreading yourself out in different places or is abnormality your sole focus right now? Abnormality is my sole focus right now. When we signed with Metal Blade Records, I made the decision to leave Parasitic Extirpation just so I would have more time to focus on abnormality. And Parasitic is a very active band. So for a while I was doing two full-time projects and a side project. So I had to, when I knew that Abnormality was going to get more busy, I had to make that decision. And I still have my side project, which is Castrator. It's an, it's an all... Um, <laughs> All women death metal band, actually. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know about that. <laughs> it's a, it's quite a name. So it sounds like that furthering the cause of women is something that's important to you. I, I'm, I'm not going to put the feminist label on, but would you call yourself a feminist artist? Like I know there's a lot of negative like connotation for some reason with feminism. I do believe myself to be a feminist. I believe in that we should have equality in the sexes. And that's all it really means to me. But to a lot of people, feminism is a, a bad word or a dirty word. Yeah, or why do you think that and is? I don't understand that. What do you think that's about? It's a very complex issue. We can't, we, it would take us like days to really break that one down. But in a short phrase that I just heard recently, it, was, it seems like to describe it really well, is when you're accustomed to privilege, equality feels like oppression. And I think that is really what what it is at the root of it. And, you know, as a daughter of an immigrant father who came from a very poor rural area of India, I know very well what I'm blessed to have here in this country. And yeah, and I actually just moved to Europe, but I mean, I'm, I'm American, you know, from birth and, and until recently. Oh, where did you move to in Europe? To Prague. Oh, why did you make that move? My husband lives over there, so I just moved there to be with him. How is that going to affect things with your Boston-based band? I'm flying back and forth as much as I need to because, yeah, the band is very busy and, and it's very important to me and it's a really you know busy time for us. So, yeah, I, I do what it takes to make it work. You also are a visual artist, right? And you, you, crea yep. you created your album cover, is that correct? Yeah, I did all the album covers for the band and our logo and some t-shirt designs. Are you self-taught or did you take art classes? Did you go to art school? I went to art school, yeah. I went to school in Boston, Massachusetts College of Art. Did you think for a while you were going to work in the visual arts, that that would be your career? I did, and actually I do. I still do. That's actually the only way that I make money. <laughs> really? Um, yes. What do you do? I still, I still don't make money at music, and I would eventually at least like to break even sure. <laughs> with music. It's still a cost to me. Well, it's funny. I, <laughs> I know that would be shocking to some people, even being on Metal Blade. So like I, I do art and I make money from art, but still we're not making money at the music. We do it because we're, we love it and we're passionate about it. But the music industry is really hard, especially in death metal. It's really hard to do it for a living or at least to break even. Even that is hard. Why and do you say especially in death metal? Because it's not as mainstream as other kinds of metal, like, say, deathcore or metalcore. So there's not as much money in it. It might be changing. I'm seeing a lot of changes going on in the scene right now. Hmm. Um, I hope that it will change, but there's only, like, the top 0.05% of death metal bands will ever make something beyond what covers their cost. Because even as you get more successful, like, as, as the band grows, your costs also grow, right? You need a, a tour 
van first and then as you get bigger you need a tour bus and you need a manager and a tour agent and you know everything else you need to print more shirts right. you have more fans and so like the, the machine gets bigger you know the, but you still don't make anybody <laughs> right <laughs> yeah, it's not something I never expected to make a salary from playing death metal, so so I'm fine. But okay. yeah, just it's a, probably a misconception of only only of some some fans. Uh, some other fans get it. So like we really appreciate the support from our fans who buy our music and everything and our and our shirts. So, like we, we survive because of you and and your your words of support. Sure. It, it helps us keep going. <laughs> sure. Now you said you make uh, your money from art. Do you? Are you a contemporary artist? Do you? Are you more of a designer? Tell me about your own artwork. I worked full time in the video games industry for a number of years. Before that, I was a freelance illustrator, and I still do freelance illustration. I haven't worked full time in video games since 2011. I've been a freelancer since then, doing video game art and other kinds of art. And I also have worked in art sales, selling work in a gallery kind of situation. Really? Well, what video games can people see your artwork in? Well, I worked on all the games in the Rock Band franchise. I worked at Harmonix from 2007 to 2011, Harmonix Music Systems, mm. it's in the, the Boston area. So those games and in the independent games that I worked on afterwards, I did some work for Tiger Style Games. I worked on the game uh, Waking Mars and then the sequel to the Spider game on the iOS platform, which is also extended to Steam and other platforms. My huge thanks to Malika of Abnormality for today's great conversation. Metal Brainiac is a member of Jabberjaw Media, a network of independent podcasts about music and culture. If you like today's episode, you'll love all the others we've done since we launched in May of 2015. All our episodes are at MetalBrainiac.com. You can also subscribe for free through iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spreaker. Until next time, I'm Matt Pikin, wishing you a metallic week. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, JabberjawMedia.com. Shh.